Hey everyone, welcome to the Fight to Thrive podcast. I'm Dr. Tyler Simmett. I'm a physical therapist and the captain in the U.S. Army. So this podcast is meant to serve as kind of your one-stop shop for tools to improve the physical, psychological, nutritional, emotional, and spiritual aspects of your life as I'm going to speak with experts throughout all of these fields. Now the show is called Fight to Thrive because you know this knowledge is great, but if you don't have the discipline to keep fighting every day to become a better version of yourself through this information, this podcast simply isn't going to help you. So keep fighting and let's take better care of ourselves so we can ultimately take better care of others. I do have to mention that the views expressed in this podcast are that of myself and my guests and do not reflect the official policy or position of the Department of the Army, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right, thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in this week. So this week, we are fortunate enough to have Dr. Allison Bragger here with us, and she is a neuroscientist. She is a former CrossFit Games athlete. She is also a sleep researcher um, that kind of helped write, you know, write the quote unquote book for, for sleep for the army right now in, in the, the new FM 7-22. Um, she is a, an athlete uh, currently on the army warrior fitness team uh, where she can, still competes in CrossFit. And she's also uh, one of the team directors for uh, human for performance and she's active duty uh, army. She's a major. She's located in Fort Knox, Kentucky. So welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here and have the uh, connections through Joe, who, uh, you know, who I competed pretty much right next to at the uh, 2013 CrossFit Games. Yeah, so Joe, Joe Shamanic, who was one of our, our previous uh, guests that we had on the show, he, he connected Allison and I, so very thankful for that. And uh, yeah, we, we had a really good discussion and, and had a good time, hopefully, you know, we can have him on again soon because he's very, very knowledgeable, but also, you know, just a good guy, good personality, fun to talk to. Yeah, actually, I just wanted to show you, I always have this on my coffee room table, his children's book, Lucy Meets a Power Lifter, and uh, I give this to every single one of my friends who has a uh, girl from now on. I love that. Yeah, I think, I, I, haven't, I haven't read it yet, but I think anyone with, from the concepts of it, anyone with uh, kids, it, it could be a good thing. Even for any just girls in general, there's still like this... I feel like this weird attitude towards, you know, lifting with females and the fear that you're going to get bulky and, and all of these like unwarranted, uh, or like irrational thoughts around resistance training with females. And I think that that's a really good like book to help set the tone at an early age, you know, to, to kind of help combat that a little bit, maybe. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, strongest new skinny, right? Like that's, <laughs> I think that's one, you know, of the many positives that CrossFit and, like this whole uh, direction of, of Olympic weightlifting has brought out is that like um, strong is new skinny. And uh, mm -hmm. no, it's, I think uh, on its way to diminishing issues related to, you know, body image and um, what society thinks women should look like. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's not a lot of, neuroscientists that I've met, you know, that are, that are active duty, uh, in the army. So I was just kind of curious as to kind of what led you to, to join the army and, and what that process kind of looked like. Sure. Uh, yeah. So there are very few of us, uh, we're part of 
honestly, I think it's like the smallest AOC of the army, the 71 Foxtrots, uh, which is research psychology. And when it, with even in that AOC, there's so many sub-disciplines. So neuroscience makes up a very small portion of that. Um, I think, don't quote me on it, but in general, there's like five of us who are like actually disciplined in, in neuroscience. Um, we have social psychologists, research psychologists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, uh, I've always, you know, been enamored by neuroscience. Uh, I always was enamored by doing public service. Um, a lot of my family are teachers and uh, my mom worked for the, the state of Ohio when I was growing up. So I'd always been committed to selfless service. I actually got recruited and got into West Point um, when I was in high school, but then 9-11 happened and my parents were like, you are absolutely not going to the Naval Academy or West Point, like mm. choose another school. So <laughs> I pretty much went to the antithesis of West Point, which, you know, right here, my alma mater, Brown University, uh, not, you know, to be rebellious against my parents. It's just, um, you know, I just thought that school could provide the best quality of life. And I was getting recruited by track and field. So that obviously had like a huge bearing on my decision. Uh, but my commitment to selfless service always stood. Um, did the officer's candidate uh, program through the Marines when I was at Brown. Uh, but then I had a foot injury my sophomore year of track. So that dream sort of died. And then after that time point, I'm like, well, I tried, you know, I tried to go to West Point. I tried to join the Marines and I uh, got a stress fracture in the process. So I guess I'll never, you know, serve in the military. Uh, but then fast forward literally 10 years, I started working for the army under a national academies of sciences fellowship. This is like five years after I got my PhD. So it brought me to the Walter Reed army Institute of research, uh, which is very close to Walter Reed hospital in Silver Spring, Maryland. And my very first day there, uh, the center director who through a very small world, like we had the same academic grandfather. So basically like the guy he did his PhD with and my mentor of my PhD, they were lab mates in their PhD program. So he was like, you know what? I think you would make a great army officer. Have you ever thought about joining the army? And I'm like, Colonel Sipos, I'm 33 years old. Like, why would the army want me now? Uh, but it turns out, you know, the 71 Foxtrot community exists. And so Colonel Sipos uh, called up the AMED Army Medicine Recruiter in Georgetown, uh, Washington, D.C. And he, his name is uh, Sergeant First Class Swan. And he was like, Sergeant Swan, like, get our packet going. So that's how I ended up in the army is thanks to Colonel Sipos and Sergeant Swan. That's awesome. So how did you kind of start getting into this? You know, I assume you're probably already pretty fit, like going into the army. How did you get on this like army warrior fitness team? How did that kind of come about? So that was a dream come true. Um, so like I said, with Joe, I was, a you know, a games athlete. I competed in the 2013 and 2015 games on a team. Um, and then in 2012, 2014, I competed as an individual in regionals. Uh, I actually could have competed in the 2011 regionals, but um, 
you know, I've always put my career first and I actually opted out of not competing in regionals because it coincided with our annual sleep conference um, that I was speaking at. And to me, that was more important than competing in CrossFit. Uh, so I kind of semi-retired from competitive CrossFit in 2016, mm -hmm. moved to like general population programming. And especially when I um, started working for uh, the army, but then like lo and behold, it's like, I don't know, dream come true. Um, in 2018, there was this massive call that came out army wide looking for a CrossFit team to be used and leveraged for recruiting purposes. And, um, you know, I, I, I have to thank my friends really, because I admit I am the worst when it comes to like mill per messages and like keeping up with like the army times. I, I feel like mm -hmm. for me, that's how I create my work-life balance. Like I keep it up on like socio-political things in the world and how they could relate to my research. But when it comes to like actual army stuff, like I'm the worst uh, <laughs> about keeping up with what's going on in the army. So yeah. <clears throat> thankfully through friends, they like forwarded me this announcement and I was like, oh, wow. So it's funny because so we had tryouts exactly two years ago. Like I looked on Facebook today and um, they basically selected 25 people of the 450 people who applied to try out. Um, and, you know, I didn't even think I was going to make it that far. Like, even though I was a two time, you know, former games athlete, two time former regionals athlete, CrossFit is built on the military. And I was just thinking everyone who was trying out was like Josh Bridges, right? Like, SEALs, Ranger, well, they had to be in the Army. So I thought they were like Army Ranger, Special Forces, et cetera. Um, and I got to tryouts and I was actually surprised because I had, uh, I mean, I wasn't the best athlete there, um, but I was one of the top athletes there because of my breadth of skill set. Like I had all the complex gymnastics movements and I was surprised, like, there was quite a few girls at tryouts who couldn't do a ring muscle up and couldn't do a handstand walk. And I'm like, how did they make it to this tryout? But anyway, long story short, they uh, selected a team of 15. So they cut 10 people of the 25 people who tried out there. And um, yeah, so I've been here since last July. Um, you know, COVID hit us pretty hard in terms of competing. Um, you know, it, for, I got deployed to New York during COVID. So, um, you know, I, I stayed busy and, and trained when I could, but um, we're, we're really excited for the CrossFit game season to start again. Uh, you know, it starts in about a month from now. Um, I th really think we're gonna have a team who has a shot to qualify for the games. Um, I'm not on that team, but again, I'm also like closer to 40 now than I am 30. So. Um, I wasn't expecting to be on the team, but, uh, you know, I'm honored to be a part of it and, you know, contribute how I can, um, either, like, inspirationally or I, I handle a lot of the administrative um, operations of the team, too. Awesome. That's that's really cool. So, yeah, sorry, forgive my, my ignorance around this, but so basically you guys put together, or the Army puts together a, a CrossFit team, like an all-star CrossFit team, and then they're going out and competing in the civilian sector is that kind of how it's working yeah so it's the um 
it's the same as the world-class athlete program. So, you know, there's like select army soldiers who uh, train in Colorado Springs and compete in the Olympics or like the army marksmanship team. They compete in the biathlon in the Olympics too. Um, it's the same thing with us. Like our expectation is to qualify or at least try to qualify for the CrossFit games and to compete in all those sanctional and high level CrossFit competitions as possible. Um, we do do like smaller competitions. We did do one last week in Oklahoma um, because we have to like align where we compete with the recruiting mission. So right now the recruiting command is targeting, I think 47 different cities. And so we try to leverage our competitions like around those 47 cities, but obviously like most of our competitions are in like major metropolitan hubs. So mm -hmm. it's, it's an easy mission to accomplish. That's awesome. So if we have any like CrossFit studs listening to the program, are, are you guys doing any kind of tryouts currently or are there any coming up? So we actually just had tryouts. Um, mm -hmm. So we, uh, we extended our athlete population now actually to National Guard and Reserve because, um, you know, not to sound, I guess not to sound like an elitist, but like it, it's really hard to find like extremely competitive CrossFitters in the active duty population, which makes sense, right? In this current mm -hmm. age of CrossFit, like when Joe and I were competing in the CrossFit games, like honestly, the only two criteria were you had to be uh, a a collegiate athlete, like most of us out there were D1 athletes, and you had to be like decently fit, and you could qualify for the CrossFit Games. Whole different ball game now, like these people train professionally and don't have day jobs. So I understand unless you're like some genetic, you know, beast lobster, like why you, you would have a hard time qualifying or like maintaining that level of fitness being active duty just because the expectations on, on us as active duty are much more than being national guard or reserve um so we did just have tryouts and i would say a majority of our athlete pool now is uh, national guard and reserve we do have some active duty slots but um you know a lot of it too it, it kind of depends on your branch because you might be in that point in your career where your branch says no, like there was athletes in the past that we wanted that we couldn't get because the human resources command was like, no, this is not fit with their career progression. So you're not having them. And then two, um, it depends on like, like the whole talent management pool of the army. There's so many more factors about it that you wouldn't even realize until you were in the thick of it in terms of like it's not just your athletic potential sure so and, and that's just... why i feel like even more blessed is like it was just like for me it was right time right place and i feel like with my teammates too it's like and we realized that it's like we really have the best job in the army and have nothing to complain about yeah, that's, that's awesome. It that sounds like a great opportunity. So yeah, maybe for those, you know, interested, keeping an eye out and maybe some of those Milper messages or, you know, more of those current event things that are coming out within the army and maybe for the next, next year's class potentially. Yeah. So um, I think what we're going to do is we're going to, the current pool we have honestly is um, for the next two years, but seriously, if you think you are a, 
you know, games level athlete or like up and coming games level athlete, like seriously message us army warrior fit, um, on Instagram or, you know, message one of the current team members, which you can easily find out through the us army warrior fit Instagram page. And like, we, we got you like that's, and I think we're going to do the same thing now with esports. Like instead of having an on-house team here, we're going to have a at-large pool. Um, you know, we're more or less like a testing bed, whether or not this concept works for the army. Um, to be honest with you, we're not a, a permanent army unit yet. We're still a provisional unit. So we're still part of this, like the testing and evaluation phase of research, if you will. So um, seriously, if you think you have the potential um, and have what it takes to, to compete, like, you know, we'll take care of you. And so do you have to be permanently assigned to Fort Knox to be on the team? No. So that's, that's the new change is um, basically those people from tryouts who were national guard and reserve, like, you know, they, depending on, again, if their unit sponsors them and is willing to pay for them, they can come live here on Fort Knox on orders. Um, but that's coming from their unit's pocket and not the, pool of money the color of money here at Fort Knox for active okay. duty but active duty would have to be stationed there yes um but again we're not for the next class it's it's going to be really hard until hopefully we become a permanent unit because we're not a permanent unit yet we're a provisional got it all right get a little bit back into the some of the sleep stuff here real quick kind of went off on a little bit of tangent on there but i think it was really good and interesting um so yeah just i don't know i feel like in neuroscience right there's so many different uh subtopics or paths that you could have went down and just kind of curious why sleep you know piqued your interest so um i've been fascinated with sleep since i've been a child um when i was a kid i kept the dream diary i used to you know have Freud's interpretation of dreams on my bedstand and decode all my dreams that I would write about in my dream diary. Um, you know, I also feel I, I got blessed. My family are, are great sleepers. Like my parents are both night owls, but they always like instill good sleep habits in my brother and I. Um, but I really started to value sleep when I was in middle school because I was a gymnast and a dancer. So like I literally was training 20 hours a week minimum and i also like valued school because neither um i was the first breaker to actually go to college like nobody on my dad's family went to college and my mom's family they were like bachelors and that's it like nobody was a doctor or had a professional degree so i always valued school um so between balancing the two athletics and academics i realized early on that like sleep was my secret weapon to performance and it became even more so when I got into seventh and eighth grade in high school because I became a two-sport athlete. So I did gymnastics all the way through the very end of high school. But where I went to high school, like gymnastics wasn't recognized as a school sport. So I also did cross country and indoor and outdoor track and field. So I was a two-sport athlete year round. Um, and I was also valedictorian of my high school. So like those two things, honestly, I attribute a lot of it to getting good quality sleep. Like even if I had homework to finish before I went to bed at night, I would just like 
go to sleep. Like literally I would sleep on it and then find a way to finish it before I had that class, you know, the next day or like lunch period or, uh, you know, homeroom we used to have like at the start of each school day. Um, and then same at college too, as a D1 college athlete at Brown University. Uh, and I went to an Ivy League, which um, again, going to like a pretty crappy public high school in Youngstown, Ohio was, um, it was a rude awakening. So mm. sleep became even more important because I had the course uh, low demands of being at an Ivy League mixed with having to, you know, try to be varsity division one for four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting point as far as like, you just made me think of something because I, I was giving a briefing yesterday and I had a soldier ask me, so like, well, you know, a lot of times I only have three to five hours when I get home to like have personal time, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to get to bed by nine and, and, you know, kind of in the back of my head, I'm like, well, if you really are prioritizing sleep, like I know different people have different obligations and responsibilities. I understand that. But like what you're saying is you were able to like utilize the margin that was like, even in high school that was built into the day. If you really think about it and like, look at your schedule during that day, like there, if you, if you're prioritizing sleep, you can be more efficient with your time to get what you need to done. You know, I think that that's, that's a good like point to bring up because so many people, uh, you know, it's same thing with exercise. I hear like, I just don't have the time, you know, it's, it, it, we all, we all have the time. It's about what you are making a top priority in your life. And that's what I talk about on this podcast a lot is like instill, trying to instill like a culture of discipline and accountability with yourself and your fellow soldiers, because you can, you can know these things are important, but if you don't actually, you know, hold yourself and others accountable to actually get them done, they're just not going to happen. Yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. And I can definitely use exercise as a reason for that. So, um, and, and, you know, I think CrossFit has really debunked this myth that I don't have time for exercise. Uh, two examples. So, like, even though I, like, semi-retired from being, like, a CrossFit Games athlete, when I was at Walter Reed, I strategically went to the CrossFit gym right next to Walter Reed. And I literally would block off lunch period. Like I would put that in my Outlook calendar and I would leave and I wouldn't even like warm up. I would just show up in my BDUs, do the wad, and then literally go back to work like sweaty, but it didn't matter because it's wearing like army clothes anyway. So, you know, like nobody knew. Um, I literally would just go ham for an hour a day like no stretching, whatever, and like still maintain a decent fitness where I could be competitive during the, the CrossFit Open. Like, obviously, I never expected to qualify for a sanctional or something, but I was still like an above average CrossFit athlete, like doing that, working out less than an hour a day. Um, and then the same thing in New York, too. Like when I was deployed to New York City to help, we stayed right across the street from CrossFit Health Kitchen. And I through luck, happened to know the owner, and he, like, let myself and my lab um, mate, like, come in during lunch. I'd look at the CrossFit HQ workout, which takes less than an hour, mm-hmm. would do it. Like, instead of eating lunch, I would just walk over, work out really hard, and then go back to the Jacob Javits Center and, like, continue work at the field hospital. So, if you make it a priority, like, 
that's, you have time for it. And it's the same with sleep too. Like we did the same thing during COVID. Like we were working 16 hour days sometimes, especially in the beginning. And I still, during that time, managed to get seven hours of sleep because I literally would just come come home, back to my hotel, shower, go to bed, um, go back to the Jacob Javits Center every morning. And then again, over lunch, I would skip lunch and go do CrossFit. Like if you prioritize those things, you can make anything work. And it's the same thing when you're deployed too, in most cases. I did the same thing when I was in Kuwait a few years ago. Yeah, that's what, one thing that's so great about like the CrossFit style of working out is it's so comprehensive and, you, and you're able to be really efficient with your time and get get strength training, get cardiovascular training in, in a good four, hard 45 minute session. Um, you know, I as a physical therapist, I have seen like a fair share of injuries associated with it as well. Um, and I think, you know, in my experience, it tends to be from people that uh, are either either trying to do too much too fast, you know, don't have like that good foundation. Um, and sometimes that's a, also a combination of that in like poor coaching or just kind of inexperienced coaching and programming. Um, and so I would just, you know, I would just uh, caution if you're going to get into it, I think it's an excellent thing, but uh, doing your research and, and make sure, making sure that you, your coach is well experienced and, and that is going to uh, progress you appropriately, you know? Yep. I agree with you. You know, I think um, speaking just anecdotally, like the people who I see get the least amount of injuries in CrossFit were former athletes in their life. Like they were, again, division one athletes. And so their body was used to handling that stress. Um, It's the people who literally go from couch to the CrossFit gym that are at the biggest risk, right? Is because their bodies have never been exposed to that stress before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I guess while, while we're on the, the topic still, so CrossFit or, or any form of exercise, you know, there's a lot of good evidence to kind of support that it, with uh, being beneficial towards your sleep hygiene. And just kind of curious if you could touch on that a little bit and then like how CrossFit and has helped maybe your, not only your sleep, but like other parts of your overall, you know, health and wellness. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think there may be one person who has done a study. There, there's a few, like, factions of academics who've done research on CrossFit now. I think Kansas State is one. Kennesaw State. I have a buddy, Yuri Fieto. He's a professor at Kennesaw State. Um, I was involved with – he did a study where he actually found um, that the elite um, CrossFitters, our VO2 max, isn't, um, like, impressive. It's actually average, but – what makes an elite CrossFitter elite is the ability to cycle through lactic acid um, and have that like lactate shuttle response uh, be like phenomenal compared to other um, athletes. Uh, But that aside, um, you know, I don't think there's any, there's not much clinical evidence to um, show that CrossFit improves your sleep. However, I will say like just knowing what sleep is for, which is, energy replenishment um, and basic tissue repair and recovery. Uh, The stimulus that CrossFit provides does lend credence to having quality sleep at night because your body recognizes that it needs that. Um, For me personally, and this is, again, I'll, I'll speak as an expert, like somebody who has a PhD in physiology, 
Um, I think the biggest benefit to CrossFit is, again, what you said before, is efficiency and reaching towards this idea of allostasis. So, you know, you have homeostasis, which is this balance between activity and rest. But then when you micro stress a system, you can achieve a new baseline in the positive direction where basically you could do more work in less time. Uh, you can get more sleep in less time. Like basically your whole physiological system becomes more efficient. Um, and to me, I think that's like one of the, the greatest benefits of CrossFit is achieving this new state of allostasis. Um, and as an example to that, again, anecdotal, um, you know, I think once you're a CrossFit Games athlete, you're always a CrossFit Games athlete. Um, like we look at, you know, like Kara Saunders and Stacey Tovar, like people who literally had a child less than two years ago, and they're already back being CrossFit Games athletes again in a world where you basically have to commit full time to this, to it as a job now. Um, that's, that's, I think the best example of allostasis. Cause even myself, like, yeah, I was only working out less than an hour a day going back and forth between lunchtime at Walter Reed, but I was still able to like get back on a competitive program pretty quickly and continue being competitive again, because during that time I was in like an allostatic state, if that makes sense. Kind of. So, so you said that you're you're able to get more sleep in less time do you mean like like better quality sleep in less time yeah so that's um when we talk about sleep timing is important but also quality is even more important because you know when it comes to sleep you have non-rem sleep and you have rem sleep and the deeper stages of non-rem stage three is very restorative rem sleep is also very restorative and so when you do like high intensity exercise, and this has been shown, like you tend to progress into non-REM stage three sleep pretty rapidly, and you tend to stay in it longer because you've depleted your body of these energy reserves of glucose and fats. And that's the only time where they can be replenished is through non-REM stage three sleep. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the best example I can give you. Got it. So during that time where you only had like an hour to work out, what, yeah, I know that you mentioned you were doing like the, the CrossFit programming, like that was just available. Was, was there anything specifically that you were trying to focus on when you had limited time, like within your programming? Yeah. So it's just stimulus, like getting, to that point where my rate of perceived exertion was like a nine or a 10 rather than a six or a seven. Um, you know, I, I actually wonder now, like I know I'm fitter now being on the warrior fitness team and even somebody who's again, a day closer to 40 um, than I was three years ago. But at the same time, I'm not sure it's a steep gradient um, because with competitive programming, like I feel like my rate of perceived exertion now can only ever be a six or a seven because we literally work out for like four hours a day. Um, and when I was at Walter Reed, like I knew I only had an hour and I would, again, I would just go hard in the paint hmm. and then I'd be done. Um, 
and I was still, again, pretty fit. So I think that's really what it is, is the stimulus. It's like, and we know that from physiology too, when your rate of perceived exertion is a nine or a 10, like for every reaction, there's an equal opposing reaction, i.e. rest. So like, of course your body's gonna like sleep like a baby that night because you just made it feel like it was literally dying for an hour, you know, a few hours ago. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Why? Just curious, why were you guys so busy during the, the COVID response? Were you doing like specific research that was COVID-19 related or what did that look like? Oh, no. So I actually, I deployed with the unit from Fort Hood to- Okay. So, so you're so saying I, while, while you were in New York? Yeah. So I ran, okay. um, I ran the COVID-19 response lab at Jacob Javits and then we did like supporting- covid testing operations around the city uh yeah so yeah i was at the jacob javits center i'm 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 connecting the dots (laughs) no but we did honestly that's like what's so awesome about being a military scientist is like it was literally all hands on deck with covid like when covid started like the walter reed army institute of research it didn't matter if you were a physiologist a psychologist a neuroscientist like you were working on covid like in some capacity, you were either helping on the behavioral health side or you were directly like helping with the PCR testing that was like being piloted at the time. Um, and so that's actually how I got involved because I honestly was like, I was feeling like a loser. Like all my friends were back in DC working on COVID and like I was here in Fort Knox, like no offense, like I was just working out and I'm like, I feel like a loser. The army needs a scientist. Like I need to be a scientist. And so I called up a buddy who happened to like be buddies with the guy of the field support hospital that was deploying to New York. And so they brought me to New York with them. Got it. Yeah. That, that sounds like a pretty cool opportunity. I had some friends that were, that were up there for that too. And Oh really? yeah were they pe friends i wonder it's not major christensen because he actually like would dry needle me pretty often (laughs) uh no uh did you meet will holcomb yes (laughs) yeah oh my god it's so funny yeah i definitely know will yeah i mean there was a small group of us like Mm -hmm. it was a big but small group of the army because like you know we were in the height of a global pandemic so of course like everyone we you know saw and met like we remembered but yeah that's awesome yeah he was my classmate and a a good friend when i was at baylor in texas and we like went to church together and stuff and he he was a buddy i'll probably still have his number honestly because i like yeah he and um the other pt major christensen who actually is from fort knox like he was Mm -hmm. the only other person from fort knox mapped to to new york like yeah they took care of me yeah, I'll have to let him know that, that I chatted with you. He'll probably be interested in listening to this. Yeah. Um, so, like, I was looking at some of your research, and a lot and a lot of the more recent stuff is around, like, sleep in, in kind of stressful environments, you know, like deployment-related, training-related, you know, people with, like, 24-hour shifts or, or just shift work in general. And so just kind of, you know, if you could give just a few, you know, basic recommendations for people who are naturally more prone to sleep deprivation, some ways to kind of combat that. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the beauty of what we do is like our research isn't for the nine to five worker, it's for the shift worker and for military personnel. Um, so 
you know, and this is something that's really emphasized in the new FM 7-22 is strategic napping. Is um, there is a lot of good that can come from a 20 to 30 minute nap. You know, we know sleep is like a bank account. Like the more you take out, the more you have to put back. And even if you're putting back the sleep or repaying those sleep debts at like 20 or 30 minutes at a time, it's still better than nothing. Um, so if you are a night shift worker, like there's no harm. And like, if you have 20 minutes to spare on your shift, take a 20 minute nap. Um, if you're doing 24 hour continuous operations in an austere environment, it's the same thing, like multiphasic napping. That's what we call it. Um, the other thing is caffeine dosing. So there's no harm in taking caffeine. Like, yes, we try to get our soldiers to abstain from energy drinks. First and foremost, we know they're neurotoxic. Um, we have division-wide army data now to show that it puts a soldier at risk for PTSD, anxiety, and depression. Um, if they're consuming two or more energy drinks a day. Um, but you can still get, you know, coffee is a beautiful drug. Like coffee, it's an antioxidant, it's neuroprotective, it's natural. Um, you can consume coffee every three or four hours and still like perform at your best um, and still have an opportunity to sleep at night if you're ceasing caffeine intake six to eight hours beforehand. Awesome. So, yeah, that was one thing I was kind of curious about because, you know, I, I did see some of that, those recommendations for like six to eight hours, but I, I was just wondering about like the cumulative effect if you are consuming like, you know, lots of, cause it's like, yeah, if you start, like if I cut that off at six hours, but I just consumed like 500 you know, milligrams, is, is that equal to, you know, you know what I mean? Like, is, is that like, do you have like any specific guidance as far as like specific dosing around that cutoff time? Yeah, so we actually, we've done those studies too. Um, so caffeine past 200 milligrams is absolutely nothing. It's not performance enhancing. So those people who, you know, take, especially if it's chronic, right? Like if you are chronically consuming pre-workout before you train, like it's not doing anything. Now, if you take, like I did this this weekend, like if I want to go ham on like a strength, event at a CrossFit competition as somebody who doesn't use pre-workout, I will take pre-workout because it's going to be performance enhancing for me. Um, but yeah, past 200 milligrams, like if you are a chronic caffeine user, caffeine does nothing. And just for reference, what does like a, a standard, you know, eight ounce cup of coffee contain? Uh, eight ounces is about 80 milligrams. So two to three cups is good or two cups, three push in it. Energy drinks, again, another reason why, like, in my opinion, they're bogus is the only one that has under 200 milligrams is that tiny Red Bull can. It has 110. If you get the the 16, the 8 ounce can. So if you get the 16 ounce Red Bull can, you're already over your limit. Um, Bang has 300 milligrams. That new one, Rain, I think has more. Like, hmm. it doesn't do anything. It's just killing your brain cells. Yeah. I'm a big uh, like cold coffee person. I like make a lot of homemade cold brew. Um, yes. Well, you're in Washington State. I mean, I that, that's like an expectation living there. Yeah, got to right? keep the keep energy going somehow without all, without the sunlight. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. For me, it's weird with the cold coffee compared to like hot coffee. I feel like 
with hot coffee, I'll get like a little spike in energy, but then I like tend to have more of a crash for some reason versus like if I have the cold brew, I can kind of just sip on that longer and then it, it sustains me longer. Maybe it's just a psychological thing. I don't know. Uh, actually, I think it might be a little psychosomatic because, um, so I, I just published a paper recently where we're looking, we're basically providing like caffeine dosing recommendations for esports athletes. And I did come across a study that was done. Um, it's pretty decent sample size where they did like a, pharmaco, a pharmacokinetic profile of like cold and hot coffee and cold and actually like this would be disgusting like a hot energy drink and like believe it or not there was very little differences between the pharmacokinetic profiles of like cold versus hot coffee and same with cold versus a disgustingly hot energy drink interesting yeah i think part of it too is that i'm i'm not able to like regulate the dosing as well with the cold brew because it's a concentrate and so i'm probably just like consuming too much honestly but i'll have to look at that a little bit yeah i might yeah it might be a little bit more than the hot coffee but right so like the half-life is probably longer like the t max like that's what the study was looking at was like the max threshold of absorption was the same um but i'm sure the half-life was was longer with cold brew Got it. What about like with uh, like pharmacologic sleep aids and do you like recommend any of those? So uh, I still stick with this recommendation and I really love that the army is on board with this now. Um, you might know that there's a ban on giving soldiers uh, prescriptions of Ambien and Lunesta on the long haul flight overseas. Um, and part of the reason is because like pharmacologics should always be last resort. Like you need to look at your sleep habits um, and your lifestyle before you resort to drugs. Like drugs are always worst case scenario. Um, and even with drugs, like start with the over-the-counter things before you go to prescriptions. Um, I take, uh, and it's because of how much I train, number one, and two, I actually have restless leg syndrome. Um, I take a high dose magnesium every night and it helps with my restless legs in a way that like, I don't have to go on the prescribed medication for it, um, which is basically like the same medication that people take for Parkinson's. Like, I'm not doing that, like no way. Um, and then same with melatonin, like melatonin can be used on a use case basis. Um, but it's not something I would advocate for nightly. Um, you know, when I travel, yeah, I do take melatonin. If I'm sleeping in a new place, I do. Um, but otherwise, I, I don't use it. Is that because, like, building some kind of tolerance or just like you're saying, wanting to find the natural <laughs> ways first? It's tolerance, um, finding ways first that you can get good quality sleep without resorting to drugs. And then... Um, Sometimes if you take melatonin at the wrong time, like it can shift your sleep cycle. So you might take it at an inopportune time. Um, but yeah, it goes back onto priorities. Like if you, like, you know, I always tell shift workers and a lot of first responders we work with, like the trade-off of your job is like, you have to treat your sleep like a second job. Like your sleep routine should start an hour before bed. Um, Mine starts an hour before bed. 
Um, I never used to be like that, but now in my thirties and, um, I actually, I have mild sleep apnea too. So like between having like two of the three sleep disorders that most soldiers have, which are insomnia, sleep apnea, and restless leg syndrome, like I have to make my sleep a priority. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, with, with that, with the idea that, you know, melatonin can be taken at inopportune times. So let's say I am jumping into a new time zone and I, and I want to use it cause I know my sleep's going to be off that night or whatever. Like when would you recommend like taking it? So, um, what's nice about melatonin and this applies to it light too. Um, like the research hasn't changed over the years and it was first done in, uh, an animal model like mice, rats, hamsters, and then extrapolated to humans. Um, so if you're trying to delay your rhythm, um, you get bright light, blue light exposure at night, and you um, that paired with like melatonin um, will delay your sleep. If you're trying to advance your rhythm, um, you get bright light, blue light exposure during the early morning. And then you take a melatonin pill, like maybe two hours before you normally go to bed. And that should advance your rhythm. Got it. So delay, 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 advance, advance. Yeah. You know, one thing I was talking to some soldiers about yesterday was the idea that, you know, we should want to be good at sleep. Like we want to be good at marksmanship or good at our ACFT event. You know, it's something like, like people don't usually think I'm jealous. That guy's such a good sleeper versus, you know, they'll think that about a guy that's, that's good at shooting or or working out or whatever. And so um, just, if we can just hit on, I know we all know it's important, but just hit on some like basic reasons, like why it is from a scientific side, why it is so dang important. A lot of this honestly has to do with, um, you know, I really love that Tom Brady, he had a great quote the other day, like he was talking about um, how sleep is his secret weapon. And it's always been is uh, with soldiers that we provide this education for, like, they're not going to believe me they're gonna call me out as being a bullshitter right because I'm a feel great officer and they're like please she values her sleep like there's no way she could have gotten to be a field grade like prioritizing her sleep um so I actually resort a lot to showing them examples from professional athletes for them to get it and it like nine times out of ten works Um, So like Tom Brady is a great example, LeBron James, uh, Serena Williams, um, what was his name, his quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course you would know that. Um, Like that's what I have to do. Or like Ariana Huffington, right? Like great examples. Elon Musk, I, (laughs) you know. I think the man is blessed with the genetic trait of short sleep, but, um, you know, I try to like gloss over that one with my soldiers, but that's what I do. It's like, there's a reason why we use pro sports as a model, even for our military research in sleep. And that's why a lot of times when it comes to looking at sleep health, we go to 
professional and high level collegiate populations to get answers about soldiers. Um, that's why we've worked with LSU and their football team over the years. We've worked with the NFL. Um, we did a longitudinal sleep assessment in Towson University, which was like, is a like decent um, division one AA level football team. Like there's a lot of cross parallels between sports and uh, military. Yeah, I have a lot of the same conversations that, that I actually had um, my buddy who plays for the Tampa Bay Lightning pro hockey team. I had him on to talk about these things and, and what what holistic health and fitness looks like in pro sports and why the military is investing all this money, you know, to to implement it because there's there's a lot of validity behind it and there's a lot of a lot of the best athletes in the world are incorporating these things and have have been for years and focusing on things like sleep, nutrition, emotional well being. Yep. And what I tell people, it's like, yeah, these things will make you perform better at your job, but also they're just going to make you a better human being. They're going to make you be like better able to help other people too. And to be a better, you know, son, daughter, wife, husband, whatever it might be. And so I think it's just, you know, we, it can't be overstated. Just, I know that, like these things aren't overly complex. I mean, the level of detail that you get to, they, they definitely are, but uh, you know, we need to just make sure to keep them, um, uh, at the top of our, our priority list. I want to be respectful of your time. You know, I don't, I don't want to keep you up. Oh, no, it's really good. I love talking about all things sleep, you know? <laughs> I don't, I mean, honestly, it's, uh, you know, working out as much as I do now, like it's a relief to talk about science and uh, applying my science outside of working out. So ask, ask away. Good. Uh, so yeah, I just, I was browsing through your Instagram a little bit before we hopped on and I saw that you have, uh, you know, recently authored your own book and I was wondering if you could just like talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So actually I wrote that book back in 2015 and I started to go okay. through like cycles of like resurrecting it. So, um, I had this idea back in 2012. Um, so the book is called Meathead Unraveling the Athletic Brain and, um, it honestly was the first time that somebody looked at the neuroplasticity of athletes and sort of what separates an elite athlete from an amateur. Um, and then sort of the human performance concepts behind um, becoming a, a, an elite athlete. So focus on sleep, um, even a focus on like legal performing enhancing drugs and why they work and how they impact the central nervous system. Um, you know, the, the body of research has grown significantly since 2012, but, um, yeah, so I had this idea. Um, the reason I had this idea is honestly being an, an Ivy league athlete is, you know, there's a stigma when I was at Brown and a lot of my friends who are at other Ivies, like the rest of the student body hated us because I mean, they don't do this anymore, but they used to lower the academic standards some to get division one level athletes. Like, you know, they're still getting great high school students, but they, the high school students they were getting didn't have like the top ACT or SAT scores and they weren't all valid Victorians of their high school, but they were still above average students. Yeah. So that stigma, like after college and like, you know, people who weren't athletes at Brown, were like always thought of me as a dumb jock. Like that was that was my reputation in college. Is like I was this dumb jock, just like the rest of my teammates. And then after college, like all of us who played sports, honestly, 
ended up being very successful. Like we all went to law, medicine, science, public policy, like did very well on Wall Street, started companies, like in the entertainment industry. And I was like, there just must be something behind the concept of like being a, an elite athlete and then being a high performer elsewhere in your life. So I started looking into it and sure enough, there is evidence that existed. Um, and I sort of, I wrote these di ideas down on paper, but then we went to the 2013 games and I was like, well, this is like my 15 minutes of fame, right? Like this may never happen again. I may never be a high level athlete again because the life of a CrossFitter is very short and injury can happen at any point. So I literally from the 2013 games in August through that February, like literally worked my ass off writing this book. Um, and then I ended up getting it published. I spent more time trying to get it published than actually writing it. Um, you know, I, I had, I got very close with like some academic publishers and um, like mainstream publishers, but then I ended up just self-publishing it because I was like antsy to get it out and I didn't want anyone to scoop me. Like I was really set on being the first to like publish this concept, whether I, you know, got rich from it or like made some money on it. Mm -hmm. um, so I self-published it, came out, ironically enough, the second time we went to the CrossFit Games in, in 2015. Um, Honestly, I don't make much money from it. If I, I've actually, I lose money instead of make money because, you know, I buy my own book back eventually to like sell to other people. But usually when I sell it, it's like in the, like the domains of charity. Like I was selling my book recently. If you donated $20 to Out Athletics, um, which is an LGBT organization to support the LGBT community through sport. Um, but it's sort of like been what I've built my career around. Like a lot of people now recognize me as an expert in neuroscience and athletic performance because of this book. And yes, I've done like the research to warrant that expertise. Um, but it's also helped like me more professionally than, you know, personally make a buck or two. That's awesome. Where could people find it if they're interested in purchasing it, purchasing it? Um, so it's usually th just through Amazon. So it's available through ebook, um, soft cover, hard cover. Honestly, if you hit me up on Instagram, I'll, if you donate to like the Out Foundation, I will send you a copy. Um, it's uh, my Instagram's Doc Jock Z Z Z. Um, you can buy it on like BarnesandNoble.com too. But yeah, yeah, I'll put a I'll put a link to it in the show notes too. Um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to, to reading that. It's, it's very interesting. And I've always been interested in like optimal performance. And one thing I realized, you know, when I was in high school in the same domain was, it, you know, it all starts in the brain. Like there, once you get to higher levels of, of sport, everyone is, has a good physical training program, right? It's, it's yeah. who is able to, uh, you know, perform at their best when they need to, because they're doing the things off the field, right? Partially yeah. that, but also knowing how to, you know, prepare your mind too. And that's one, one thing I've been getting interested in as well as, uh, you know, like sports psychology and, and dealing with performance anxiety and things like that. And cause there's that, that happens in the military too, you know, that I've seen with like people 
who will train up for their ACFT really well and do great. And then they get on the on test day to do it. And, and they just, you know, they kind of, they freeze up um, kind of maybe a, a different discussion, but uh, I think that, you know, just, just, but in the same realm, right. In the same idea. Yeah. I mean, you know, mental preparation is such a huge part of it. Um, you know, I never really thought I mentally prepared, but then I realized like, after years and years of competing in athletics and not stopping, like my mental preparation is like, like the Michael Phelps mental preparation where he puts on his beats and listens to like Dr. Dre. Like I've done the same thing since high school. Like I put on my beats or like whatever headphones I have. And I like listen to like hardcore trap music, like to psych me up. Like to this day, I was doing that this weekend. Um, you, you know, some people use imagery. Um, I think it is inter-individualized, but like mental preparation is key. And it's the same thing, you're right, with military operations. Like you have to get in that mindset before you're in that preparatory state before you're ready to compete. Um, and even with the ACFT, you know, this is something we do in CrossFit now, and especially as we're preparing for the open is like, we do like competition style programming where like we are each other's judges, like we'll take turns judging each other. And we do do like some days we'll go head to head and like do mock competitions, like especially leading up to a competition. Like you have to do that and you have to treat the ACFT the same way. It's just like, that's the army model, right? Like train as you fight. There's a reason why we do these military training exercises because you don't want combat and when you're in a firefight to be the very first time that, um, you know, you're operating your weapon system, like an Abrams M1 tank, right? Like you don't want to be the loader and the gunner and doing that for the first time in combat if you didn't actually like use your weapon system beforehand in military training exercises. Yeah, it's kind of how, how I look at rehab a little bit too. It's like, you know, the more we, more stress that we can uh, you know, expose that soldier to in a controlled environment, you know, that they can, you know, that they're able to safely withstand the, the more they'll be able to withstand in that uncontrolled training or deployed environment, you know, when, you know, the floor, the floor is not always like perfectly level and you have rocks to go over and, and there's all of these things that are, you know, that are distracting you as well. And so I think that it's a good idea, but yeah, thank you so much for your time, you know, Dr. Bragger. Bragger, if you have, um, if you ever find yourself over on the uh, the West Coast, uh, Washington, for anything, please let me know. I'd love to get together, maybe get a workout in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm sure. You know, all roads through the Army lead to some people. Like, you know, the fact mm -hmm. that like I met your friend Will in New York, uh, it it will happen. So yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, have a great night and um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll see each other again. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, that's going to happen because you're an army PT and like in the army PT world, all roads lead through Colonel Deirdre Tahan. So like, oh, yeah. you know, and Deirdre Tahan's one of my mentors. She's my former commander at rare. Um, she wrote one of my letters of recommendation for the NASA like pipeline thing. Like I still talk to Deirdre, like Colonel Tahan, like fairly often, like, We'll definitely be in touch because she's like yeah. the of all connectors. 
That's fun. Yeah. I was just going to say that like everyone that I've met through this podcast or otherwise, that's the common theme and that's their connection to PT in the army is her. So she's a rock star. If she does not become a general officer, I will like literally hold like a public protest. Like (laughs) actually just yesterday. So I subscribed to the um, women's um, ECFT page and like, Lo and behold, there's like five posts about Colonel Deirdre Dan because she gave um, she gave some presentation about like how women should train up for the ACFT, um, which I mean, honestly, she should be the person doing that. And I love that she's doing that because like, again, we can end the podcast here, but not to get off topic, but I, I feel like it's, it's a worthy point is... Um, a lot of people have been coming to us, the U.S. Army Warrior Fitness Team, for ACFT prep. And to be honest with you, we are not the people to be training people for the ACFT because one, we're not physical therapists, and like while we might have certifications and strength and conditioning and are like expert CrossFitters, like CrossFit isn't the be-all end-all to train for the ACFT. And honestly, we are so like biased, right? Because we are elite athletes. And like, unfortunately, the only way I know how to program is for elite athletes. Like, I don't know how to do general population programming. And again, without not sounding like an elitist, but I think it takes a general population pro, like program level athlete in order to come up with the the best programming possible for that population. Um, and so that's why I love that she's doing this is right because she has all the credentials in the world right as a PT and she knows like the best movements to do to for preventative help but also for those who are recovering from a past you know skeletal muscular injury Um, Mm -hmm. but too like she she's an avid avid distance runner and she's a badass distance runner Um, but you know she is herself admits like she struggles on certain events like the leg tuck and she's gotten better at it um and like the sprint drag carry so like she's the person to be doing that is like yeah it's like what i was talking about before like the most common thing that i see is with people coming into my clinic is just trying to do too much too fast and especially relating to the acft and so you know we're part of this H2F models are bringing in all these strength coaches, you know, that hopefully are going to do a really good job at that, at just that at at gradual progression and working close with physical therapists to make sure that we're not only, like you said, training for um, injury prevention, but also, you know, training just to optimize performance, but, but not overreaching because like our test before was all about, you know, just about basically muscular endurance and with the push-ups and the sit-ups and, and the two mile run. So if you have a soldier that's been in for 12 years and, you know, hasn't done much deadlifting, you know, but they're used to maxing their PT test. It's like, sometimes you really got to pump the brakes and not get them going for that 340 pound hex bar deadlift right off the bat. So, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I will say, so the first, very first time, because so many people have asked me since I've been on the Warrior Fitness team, like, what's your ECFT score? And I, I had no idea. Like, I'd done all the events separately uh, when I went to Master Fitness Trainer course in 2018, but I hadn't done the full ACFT until this past December, and I got a 460, and I, like, even as somebody who's, like, I guess now as a master's athlete, like, still, I'm still an elite CrossFitter, I was, like, it's kind of demoralizing, right? Because mm-hmm. I've never 
not maxed the PT test. Like I've never not gotten a 300 or like, I usually get over a 300 and it's like, shit, I only got a 460, like, you know, feeling bad about myself. But then, um, I work for the recruiting command and like physical readiness is not a thing of the recruiting command, unfortunately. Like that's the command a lot of soldiers end their career in because they're med board, they're like they're at risk for being med boarded or like close to it. Um, and so I was like so nervous when we first took our first ACFT. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I hope my soldiers do not go like ham. Cause we have like other aspects um, of our battalion that like we have the truck drivers. So like the, the guys who drive around the big army trucks at the marketing and advertisements, like they're part of our battalion. So we have truck, we have the elite army warrior across the team. And then we have the truck drivers of the army. And yeah. then we have the esports team. Like you talk about physical fitness disparities, like <laughs> I was so nervous during the ACFT, but they, they did well, like managing their expectations. And, you know, I was like really proud of them. And it was actually nice to hear for them and, and as individuals who don't prioritize their fitness as much, they're like, actually, I do feel like this test is easier. Like, you you know what I mean? In some regards, like Mm -hmm. it sucks doing it, but like, it's more manageable. Um, and it actually yeah. gets me excited to like live a lifestyle. And, and that's, I think for our esports team, that was the most eye opening. Like they spend three days a week now in the morning in our gym, like working out and they're there because they want to be, and they want to get better at the ACFT, but it's all about managing expectations. And yeah, you're going to have to have like hard talks with some soldiers like myself who are like, you may never max that test, but that's, that's not the point of this test. It's a very different test. Yeah. I think it's a lot more fun to train for than like the APFT too, when you're just doing those three events and it's a lot more well-rounded and there's a lot more, uh, like for example, just like a back squat will, will transfer to it a lot more than it would with the APFT. And so you can start to vary your workouts a lot more and bring, you know, a lot more variability and, and just fun into it. And it's going to transfer a lot more to a lot more functional, you know, fitness yeah. and, and everything that you're doing with, and with how much we have to move and, and all of that, like you're going to be lifting boxes. I don't care what your MOS is. And, um, so I think that it's, it's a good, it's a good move for the army. I think that as long as, like I was saying, we get the right professionals in here to make sure that people are doing it appropriately and, and gradually progressing. I think that it's going to be good in the long term. It's a good investment on their end. I had a quick question about, um, when you were at the CrossFit games, did you ever meet, um, Connor Murphy? Does that ring a bell at all? That name sounds so familiar. He might have been a little bit earlier. So he's he's my cousin. He competed in the games right around that time frame for a couple of years too. But yeah, I was just was he he, a team or a individual. I'm pretty sure he was individual. So he works. He, I need to reach out to him. He works for Reebok now. So he lives okay. out in Bo- in Boston. Um, yeah, just had a daughter, so he's not competing really anymore but doing a lot of training for them and doing a lot of like the teaching a lot of the certification courses and things like that oh nice yeah I his name actually sounds familiar I mean I am Mm -hmm. I'm a CrossFit OG too um Mm -hmm. you know and most of us like we all like I think it's funny so I actually I grew up with Dan Bailey he um he uh 
I've known him since high school. And like, we joke now that like, we're both, I mean, Dan has way more qualifications than me, right? Like he's been an individual athlete at the games a ton, but we're like, yeah, we're washed up games athletes now. Like it's, <laughs> I don't know. There's just like something humbling about it too. It's, yeah. Yeah. But you, you're still, you're still able to train too. That's what's cool. It's like, yeah, you can be, you know, you can retire from football and you're not really, going to go practice football at least like you can be done with crossfit and you're still going to be able to do it you know for a while so that's kind of cool yeah. well and that's the thing I, and honestly it's way more fun now like um you know it was great to like compete at the games and like to have that experience at friday night lights at wadapalooza and like those big events like at a certain point like crossfit stopped being fun like when yeah. i was competing next to joe at the 2013 games that was so much fun, like best year of my life. And then we started getting really serious and it stopped being fun. And like, that's the thing is like, you could still have fun at CrossFit, even if you have gone to that level and you just reset your, manage your expectations, right? It's just like with the APFT standard and the ACFT standard, like you just have to create a new standard and have an honest conversation with yourself. Like, I know I will never be as metabolically fit ever again, because you know what, when I try, I throw up um, <laughs> at this competition, like hands down. So last week um, at this competition, we had to do one minute max on the bike erg and then have a two minute reset and do one minute max on the ski erg and then do that twice. I literally threw up three times after that. Cause like my body was like, I cannot handle like you redlining anymore. Like I'm old, I can't do it. Um, <laughs> but you just, you have to reset your expectations, like metabolic workouts, like strength stuff, right? Like I will never snatch as much as I used to in 2015. Um, I will never clean and jerk as much ever again. And I, I could probably do it, but I'd get injured in the process. And to me, it's not worth it. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a good point because like you mentioned Tom Brady. It's funny because I was just talking about him too. With some people. I mean, who's not right now, I guess, right? Because yeah. he just won a seventh Super Bowl. But, <laughs> Especially um, I saw Barstool Sports today. Oh, my God. That was so amazing. The boat party they had. <laughs> like, when he was throwing the Lombardi trophy <laughs> around. <laughs> yeah. Throwing it. Around. Oh, my God. That was amazing. I reposted that on Instagram today. Yeah. He, he was having a good time. But, I mean, talk about – like making long longevity a priority in your training. Like he's stopped yeah. it, stopped a lot of that heavy lifting, you know, a long time ago to focus on what's really going to improve his longevity. And, and I don't think that that means everyone needs to stop lifting heavy. That's not like what I'm trying to say, but sometimes we don't always need to go to that point where our form starts to break down. And, you know, cause if you're doing that every training session, your, uh, you know, your chance of injury, I think goes up pretty substantially. So, uh, yeah. wanting, wanting to improve in intensity, but at the same time, balancing that with keeping, you know, the end in mind and wanting to be able to maintain your training into your, you know, I want to be able to train till I'm into my nineties if I'm still around, you know? Oh yeah. Same here. Like I tell people, like for me, the best way to go out would be like, and like, honestly, like this sounds morbid, but like doing a full on sprint workout when I'm like 90 years old and going to cardiac arrest, like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. or like doing a crap, like it'd be whatever, like 83 and of course it's still like, like a approved or like 
popular form of training i don't think it's going away anytime soon like yeah but if you but if training like but if you've been training like your whole life like that the the likelihood that you're gonna go out that way actually decreases substantially right unless you're, unless you're getting to the point of like puking maybe <laughs> then that might be a different I, I, discussion yeah, I, know. I know what i did last week was not healthy but i it's funny i like joked with my teammates it's like I'm going to go all out. Like I'm going to puke for you. And I did. And it's so funny. So my teammate and I, we um, we're both masters athletes now and we actually competed in the pro division. So like everyone else who competed with was like 25 or younger, like even my own teammates who were like outright won the competition, like neither one of them is 30 yet. Okay. And so like I'm 36, Carlos is 35 and like we were still hanging with them. We didn't finish last, like in the pro division, but we finished last on that event. So like the one, I mean, not that I wasn't trying on every workout, but the one workout I was like, I'm going to go so ham. I'm going to puke. We still <laughs> finished last in. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> that is. Yeah. I think like that's another dangerous thing I've, I've seen with CrossFit sometimes is like, and I'm not saying this is the case here. It was like one workout for you, but sometimes like people get in the mentality, like if I'm not like about to puke, then I wasn't like working out hard enough, you know? And I think that that becomes a little bit uh, counterproductive sometimes if every single day that's you're training to that level of exhaustion. No, and, and you can't maintain it. And like, it's just like what you talk about. It's like expectations and longevity. So as a master, so I used to be able to train like that. When I started CrossFit, like again, the stimulus and the standards were different back then. So like when I started CrossFit with Dan Bailey and Julie Fouché in Ohio, um, like we could go ham, but like none of us were training for longer than an hour a day. These days, it is very rare that I give more than 90%. Like we did a terrible workout yesterday and like I gave 100% effort but again, my rate of perceived exertion was probably like 80%. Um, because I know if I go over that 80%, like it takes me days to recover or I'm at risk for injury. Mm-hmm. The only time you should ever go 100% rate of perceived exertion, puking your guts out is during the CrossFit Open, right? Like, because that's your one chance to prove yourself for the year. So there's like five weeks of the year where you're excused, but usually then like not every workout is meant to make you puke. Like the only ones are usually like the first one and the last one. Um, Before last weekend, I puked twice in my life and they were both um, during the CrossFit Open. So once was in 2012 when he did that seven minutes of burpees. And I don't know if it was actually the burpees or it's just like the up and down movement, but I puked after that. And then the last one was 15.5, which was like 21, 18, 15, 12, et cetera, of row for calories and thrusters. I literally, after the last like pull in the row, I literally like puked in my lap. (laughs) And apparently that was like common too. Um, But besides that, like you should never be puking. Yeah. That sounds pretty awful. One thing that just kind of came to my mind, a little bit of switching gears with the uh, with the sleep thing. So you were talking about how 
you know, even back to high school, something that you were just like really good at and, and you felt like your family had like instilled some good habits, you know, with, with you as a child. So like in your opinion, is it like more so like a nature or a, or a nurture with sleep and, and are there any, um, second part of that question, do you think that like mindfulness training can help with people who are struggling to like fall or stay asleep? Absolutely. Yes to both. So, uh, the nature piece is a real thing. Um, I have studies to, to show that we recently published a paper where, um, genetic variability and, um, one of the immune factors, TNF alpha actually, um, promotes or destabilizes the ability to handle sleep deprivation. Um, I've done a lot of that work even as, as a postdoc, um, post-PhD in Atlanta, where we discovered a uh, molecular factor in skeletal muscle that does the same thing. So there is a genetic piece. Um, there's even a genetic variant related to short sleep. So real, real quick, just to kind of put that in a little bit of English, maybe for people. So basically, the, the, some people are naturally through their genetics able to uh, tolerate sleep deprivation better than others. Is that kind of? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's part genetic. There's genetic reasons for night owls. Like, honestly, I can never be a, a general or like, I think a high, a commander because I, I'm a night owl. Like, and I, I try to be a lark. And I get sick, so I will forever stay a night out, and somehow that hopefully will work out for me in the army, but we'll see. Um, the other piece is nurture, though, is, yeah, like, upbringing, like, your parents' sleep habits, I think, lend credence to your own sleep habits. Um, and then mindfulness does work. There are, there's a lot of research, I shouldn't say a lot, but there is research now, clinical research to support it. Um, there's this new approach um, called uh, photobiomodulation, which is this idea where you're like combining like audio and visual stimuli to like coax the brain into um, sleep that there's some evidence to support that as well. Um, and then not using technology, just like mindfulness practices. Yeah, absolutely. Anything that you've incorporated that's helped? Recently, um, Let's see, what have I done recently? Um, I mean, I think for me, the biggest change in the last few years would, would have been the sound machine. So I used to think sound machines were gimmicky. Um, and then the Army actually, the Army Surgeon General Office actually sponsored a study with Northwestern to show um, that the types of noises that like white noise and it's actually called pink noise. It's like a, uh, a softer white noise. Um, it actually triggers this particular circuit in the brain that coaxes the brain into sleep and restorative sleep. Uh, so I started using a sound machine and honestly, like it, it's wonderful. And it's great when you're TDY, right? Like I, I bring that thing everywhere. And if I don't have it, I use this pink noise app on my phone. Um, yeah. I think that's been the biggest change for me. I do and the same thing. I, but, but like regarding um, kind of specifically regarding mindfulness, anything. Oh, you... gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think everyone has different approaches. So one of the things for me, it's not so much being in like 
a state of what do you say like non-judgment or like presence for me I think it's more of like reaching a like relaxing calming state because I tend to be like a high energy person throughout the day and so I I make sure like my last 20 minutes are like very idle and so how I do that this sounds strange but I like I take a hot shower like in the dark or like in candlelight and so because it's like essentially removing it's kind of like sensory deprivation right it's like removing all these stimuli except for like thermoregulation and like being hot um so um I think that's that's my approach but it, it is a mindfulness approach because it's the last 20 minutes before I go to bed awesome all right. I think we can actually, you know, close it up for real this time. Um, yeah. Again, thank you so much. And, and I'm sure we'll see each other again. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, have a good way. All right bye. bye. All right, everyone. Just have one more quick ask before you go. Uh, if you got something out of, or you just enjoyed this week's episode, it'd really mean a lot if you could take the time to either subscribe, review, or share this podcast with your family, friends, fellow servicemen and women, uh, whoever you think, you know, might be able to benefit from it. Uh, my goal is, it really is to reach as many people as possible and, and to hopefully help them find better health and wellness. So if you could, uh, you can take the time to do this, it would really mean a lot. Uh, thanks everyone. I hope you have a great rest of your day.